The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to the Data Reaper podcast, episode 23. It is Friday, November 27th, time of this recording. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and joined as always is... Zacco, how you doing, buddy? Wait, that was that was not good, Hat. You did not come up with a nickname for me this week. It's it's only been four days. The nickname meta needs time to grow and develop. All right, I can't force it. You could just call me the Soul Demon Hunter of Among Us. Wow. So why don't we just jump right in? You see, this was planned all along, listeners. This was planned all along. We were just bridging. I wasn't trying to just praise myself. For my Among Us scales, this was all a plan to comfortably and conveniently bridge into our Hearthstone discussion. Yes. So let's start our Hearthstone discussion. We've had the first report for Madness at the Dark Moon Fair. And there's a lot of interesting things to talk about. And this podcast is not just going to be talking about what happened in the report, what we published in the report. The meta is moving at a very fast pace. Obviously, I can keep track of trends that have been occurring since we closed the database for this report. And there are new developments. And if there are, I will mention them in this podcast. So you'll get like, it's almost like another mini report before the first and the second. Um, So let's start. We start with the most popular class in the format. We start with Demon Hunter. Demon Hunter is really good. You may have been aware of, aware of it already, but Soul Demon Hunter was the front runner of uh, Darkman Fair. Uh, has the perfect meta score at both Legend and Top Legend uh, in the report, which indicates that it's both the best performing deck and the highest win rate deck. However, it's not going to last for long. I can already see that the meta is responding, becoming more efficient and is targeting Soul Demon Hunter, and it may not be the number one deck next week. It's entirely possible that running the deck next week will be risky, so you may want to skipper it. Huh? Huh? Very good, very good. That almost redeems you from your uh, early error. It wasn't not an error, we talked about that being exactly. planned. We talked about that. By the way, did I say how you doing, Hat? You did not say you how you say doing, that. Hat. Oh my god, okay, Hat, hat. said there was an error, and then you talked about yourself being great as Among Us, and now you're contradicting yourself. Zach, you're sus. Look, the thing is, you didn't provide a nickname, so then I did not do the unique and uh, legendary how you doing hat afterwards. Like, it's important to precede the how you doing hat with a proper uh, nickname greeting. So keep that in mind in a future podcast hat. I expect better from you, but... I'll forgive you for now. But the point is, Soul Demon Hunter was a deck that was figured out before day one of the expansion. The list that we recommend is the one that we theorycrafted before the expansion was launched in the theorycrafting article. Now, it wasn't that difficult to figure out that that build because you basically add a few really good cards um, and, and take out some less good cards. So 
that that's pretty much it. Uh, the the goal of the build is to maximize the potential of Bladed Lady with Relentless Pursuit. Uh, Wandmaker is a card that's very common in list. However, uh, we've noticed that it doesn't really perform as well in the late game when you don't run Penflingers. Uh, Wandmaker is an important enabler for Penflingers. So while it is a good turn two, what really gave it uh, the the push to be a strong card in the deck during Skullman's Academy is the fact that you could easily draw it on six and it would still be pretty useful at just activating your Penflinger. But now it's only really good on turn two and then it drops off a little bit more later. So we prioritize Relentless Pursuit as another enabler uh, for um, Bladed Lady because you can you can play Aldraki Warblades on turn three and then Relentless Pursuit and play a Bladed Lady on four. It's it that four attack really lines up well uh, with Aldraki Warblades and Twin Slice in order to make Bladed Lady cost one very very easily. And it's also a source of damage. And you don't need the chip damage from the two two quite the same way, right? Like you needed yeah. you really wanted Spirit Jailer on one, Wandmaker on two, Panthara on three just to get that consistent chip damage, and now you don't need it as much, and you're going to see a lot more mirror matches, so unlikely your minions are going to stick. Yeah, so uh, it, it basically comes down to that. You just have more damage, you have more ways to modify your attack to enable the Bladed Lady. The early game isn't as important because there are a lot. there's going to be a lot of mirrors, and you mostly want in the mulligan generally against most most strategies, you're looking for your one drop, your jailer, you're looking for your panthera, and you're looking for your marrow slicer. These are the three cards that you want in almost every matchup. And then in ag against aggressive decks, you can think about keeping Mystic, Aldraki Warblades, uh, and Soul Shear. These are cards that are more useful. Soul Shear is a card that you don't necessarily have to keep only against aggro. You keep it if you're playing against a deck that you expect to play a 2-drop or a 1-drop that you can then shear it, right? Uh, so it's really nice to activate it on turn 2, but if you're playing like against Warrior that doesn't play minions on, or in the early game, keeping Soul Shear is probably not good enough, right? Because you don't really have targets for it. You want to activate it on turn 2, uh, ideally. So you need your opponent to play minions. Some of the slower decks do play minions, and you need to think about that. But some of them don't, and you have to be aware of that. So that's pretty much the mulligan. Also, Skull of Gul'dan is a card you can consider keeping in slower matchups. Um, uh, I think Orange did a video uh, that pretty much describes uh, this, this, this mulligan guide. He also shows some games. So if you want to check out Orange, he posted a really good video guide for Soul Demon Hunter with this specific list. So if you want to check it out, uh, I recommend you in order to better your Hearthstone games, uh, your Hearthstone experience with Soul Demon Hunter. So that's um, that's pretty much for Soul Demon Hunter. I do have one question about Soul Demon Hunter. Yeah, there have been some lists that have been cutting militia. What's your perspective on that? Don't cut militia. <laughs> Don't cut militia. Militia is still a good card. It's not as insane as it was uh, during Skullman's Academy. However, it is a card that sometimes wins you games that you otherwise have no chance of winning. It's a huge comeback card to the board. It helps you, uh, it helps alleviate uh, Demon Hunter's weakness of sometimes it's weak uh, uh, at single target removal, maybe arguably not so much anymore, but it's still a card that you can just drop a ton of stat stats to the board, swing the board, 
And it just sometimes wins. Like you don't want to be completely one-dimensional and be entirely um, focused on weapon damage and off-the-board damage. You you need to have some board presence, and Militia is really good at, at enabling that and allowing you to be a little bit more difficult to counter. So... I do like still militia in the list. I don't think it's worth cutting. I don't think there's a big, there's a great reason to cutting. Like, would you cut militia for wand maker? I really don't think that's worth it. So the question is, are you suggesting a better card? I don't see that better card uh, than militia. So that's pretty much it. Now, as for aggro demon hunter. Now, if you look at aggro demon hunter's matchup spread, it's actually even more insane because it just completely destroys all these early meta jank. Um, that we see, you know, on the first few days of Dark One Fair, and Control just dominating. Yeah, sorry, something yeah, stuck yeah. in my throat. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, though, the thing is, though, that Agro Demon Hunter happens to lose to the two decks that you know we're going, we're going to extensively mention throughout this podcast, and we've mentioned throughout this report as the meta-defining duo of Control Warrior and Soul Demon Hunter. Agro Demon Hunter loses to both. I'm already seeing it that. As these two decks are going to rise in popularity, Aggro Demon Hunter's winner is going to drop. It's is it? It's still going to be very, very powerful, but I'm going to put it like a little bit below the power level of Control Warrior and Soul Demon Hunter. When I'm, I envision future meta trends, and when I look at future meta trends, and I envision uh, power levels of decks and where their win rate might uh, gravitate towards. So Aggro Demon Hunter is on the downswing a little bit, but it's still very powerful. It definitely has room to lose a few percentages. Uh, uh, tenth of percentages and in, in, in its winner and still be very good. The build that we have in the report is pretty much almost perfect. There's probably some ways to maybe consider some changes. I've seen Kane uh, being played in the deck. Kane is not that great. Um, it's okay, but you consider it to be like the 30th or 31st card in that list because it's expensive. At four mana, it actually does affect your ability to get the most out of your reader, your acrobatics. So you're still stepper, which is a very good card in the deck. Uh, but some some players may feel like they need the cane to finish games. It's not that important, as important as it may feel sometimes to have cane, but it's an option. Um, out of the three draw engines, like um, acrobatics is probably the weakest one. Uh, but I didn't really see a better alternative to that card. And the deck really functions well with uh, the additional card draw. So for now, I recommend running that. Uh, Aggro Demon Hunter is especially very, very good on the climb to Legend. Less so at Top Legend. Top Legend right now, I wouldn't recommend running it. Because you're going to run into those two bad matchups. And, and that's going to wear you down eventually. Warrior's rough, yeah. There is... There are some developments that are going on now that we haven't tracked yet. Uh, a couple players from the APAC region, Wuling and Shuzo DS, are experimenting adding Altruist and Skull over Acrobatics and cutting some of the one-drops, in particular Mana Burn. We don't have data on that yet. Um, it's a very different feel of the deck than going as low as this one does because you don't churn quite the same way, but Skull is Skull. Yeah, I do like the idea of maybe swapping acrobatics for skull because even though it doesn't work as well, like it doesn't work well with like voracious reader, neither does acrobatics, right? And skull is a card draw effect that gives still gives you tempo, right? You're very likely in that list to just vomit whatever you drew from skull, 
And I'm not sure about altruists. I don't like altruists in in this kind of build because you're not really the type of it's not really the type of deck where you have a lot of resources in hand. You're heavily inf- incentivized to dump them. So the likelihood of you getting value out of altruists that much is is not that great. And altruists is really bad into things like if you drew altruists when you have a reader in hand or you have a like you draw it off of still stepper then it feels really really bad right uh because you don't want you want the damage from still stepper you don't want to play a three mana four one draw card uh, uh, that's not good enough for this kind of deck so skull is interesting maybe it's better than acrobatics we don't know we'll see maybe we'll we'll have an answer on that next week so that's uh, Agro Demon Hunter. Finally, we have the Life Steal Demon Hunter with the Ilganoth OTK with Morg Artificer and such. Uh, this deck is looking pretty weak. It's not that much better. Like at higher levels of play, people are saying, oh, this deck is really skill testing. And that might be true. However, you know, we've had past examples of deck that were skill testing, but they were still bad even when you maximize their potential because they're they were just flawed you can think about nomi priest as a really good example of that uh so even though it might improve over time lifesteal demon hunter and its win rate as players continue to learn how to play that deck it's more likely that people just are going to give up or the win rate that is going to rise as a result of the players who are not doing well with it um just dropping it altogether uh, so I don't think that is that deck is going to last in this meta, and if it does, it's probably going to be really, really fringe. It's better than it's not Mozaki Freeze Mage level, right? But it's not that much better than that. So I expect it to be very fringe and, and not not super impactful. Um, but you know, it's fine to have a, a underpowered Demon Hunter deck. That's also allowed in Dark Moon Fire. It turns out. Yeah, uh, so and, and we'll having having narrow combo decks with lower win rates um, that perform well at higher legend, it, I don't mind having it in the format. I'm just glad it's not the best thing to do. Yeah, I guess so. And yeah, it's not as I said, it's not that dramatically. Like there might be a, it might improve in its win rate over time, but I don't see a massive disparity in its performance at different skill levels as much as you know people make claim you know like even if the difference is like maybe one percent two percent if you're looking at a deck that has like a 43 44 percent win rate that's not gonna do much right you need like it's very rare like it's it never happens i'm not even gonna say it's rare it never happens that a deck is performing like at rank five or a dumpster legend performs uh you know has an x win rate and then you see at top legend or higher legend you see an x plus five in its win rate i've never seen that uh, like and i'm talking about matchup related right because sometimes deck are better at top legend because the meta is more favorable there and that can happen but i'm i'm talking matchup dependent if you're looking at matchups and how it improves matchups at higher levels of play i've never seen a deck do like a flat three four percent improvement it just never happens uh so if a deck is that looking that poor, like at rank five, at diamond five, or at throughout legend, it doesn't look good at all. Then you can't really expect it that top legend to suddenly rise in its win rate by five to eight percent. It just never happened. It just never ever. I've never ever seen anything like that. 
And I've seen my I've seen my fair share of high skill cap decks that do see a, a, a drastic improvement. And when I say drastic improvement, it's something like two three percent. That is considered drastic. That is like whoa. That is historically high. So keep that in mind. Yeah, my theory my theory would be that. If that deck had increased viability at, at specific rank brackets, it would be, like you said, because of meta composition. Um, but this is the kind of deck that would historically prey on Priest, and they have Lucia now, so maybe that's it. you just can't even target the same way with it, assuming people are trying to play Priest. Yeah, I'm just not seeing the field for it. I'm, I'm, I'm just not, yep. not really seeing it with Life Seeing Demon Hunter. It just seems very fringe and... It's cool, right? It's a cool deck, it's, but it's I, I, I just a lot, don't like people are bored of slapping people. Yeah, I guess. Like, like, and sometimes, occasionally, since there are a lot of there are players who have played that deck, occasionally you'll hear about one individual or a couple of individuals who are doing well with it. But you know what you don't hear about? About the numerous others, dozens of others who are not doing well with it, but they don't post about it on Twitter. So that's the difference in when it comes to. The bias of reporting, right? You don't report when you lost. Nobody posts on Twitter, hey, I just had a 40% win rate today with this deck. Um, they're always going to report success, and that can skew perception of decks uh, like that, like other decks as well, that we will mention this report to. All right. So let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's talk about, let's talk about Rogue, which... Uh... Usually at the beginning of metas, it shows up at the top of reports. Now, we touched on this in the podcast at the beginning of the week. Um, and the report is pretty clear on this, that Rogue, if you're going for hyper aggro, once again, just like Skolomance, you're probably going to have a bad time. But Swindlefox lets us play the, the secret miracle build just fine. And it is perhaps slightly better than last expansion, but also facing maybe a more hostile meta. I will correct you and say that there was a period, a significant period in Skullman's, that the hyper-aggressive build was very good. It was very successful. Uh, but it seems to be uh, not the case now. Uh, that variant where you play like Sinister Strikes and stuff like that is not really working well at all. Uh, what you want to do with Agro Rogue is basically play a more value-centric build to take advantage of Foxy Fraud. If you, like, Foxy Fraud is a card that kind of demands you to run Miscreant and Wand Thief. It really wants these cards. These are its best friends. So when you give that up for like Sinister Strike, you're not going to get the most out of Foxy Fraud. And Foxy Fraud is a really good card uh, that you want to be running. So if you want to do well with Agro Rogue, run the build that we have in the report. It's uh, pretty well built. I mean, there are possibilities that some cards are not seeing much play perhaps could be good in the stack, but there is a big disparity in the performance of builds of, uh, of Agro Rogue right now. There are builds that perform really, really poorly, and there are builds that perform really, really well, and this is the kind of build that performs really well. So if everybody just dropped the direction that is not promising at all and played uh, variations of, you know, Miscreant, Wanthi, Foxy Fraud builds, then I can see Agro Rogue's win rate uh, rise. Now, I don't think that deck is ever going to be an all-star performer, you know, one of the top performers in the meta, but it could be viable and competitive. It's just that an aggro deck in the first week of an expansion, I really wanted to just tear it up. 
Like you need, as an aggregate, you need to be a front runner. You need to tear it up because as other decks become more efficient, and they usually um, improve percentages against aggressive decks that are easier to build in general. So uh, usually aggressive decks fall off in their win rate from the first week. So if you're already tier three, uh, and your best build might be like tier two level, maybe if everybody played the Miscreant Wanthi variant, then Agro would be sitting at comfortably at tier two right now, then you need to have some sort of cushion, right? You don't want to drop too far as an aggro deck uh, as the meta becomes more efficient. So aggro lo it looks okay. It's a cute deck. It's strong, but I really want to talk about the stronger deck. I think I have has more potential, which is Miracle Rogue, the secret build of Miracle Rogue. And clearly Miracle Rogue is... So So here's the thing. Zhao Ti hit number one legend with a build. Naturally, Zhao Ti is a highly respected player, a top, top player, big fan of him as well. Um, but, you know, when you have a really respected player hitting number one legend with a deck, it's going to be net deck everywhere. And even the best players, they can not, it's almost impossible to even expect them to build their decks perfectly. You just don't have the information to know whether this is a good decision. Uh, this is a good deck building decision. So Xiaoti's build can definitely be improved, and we talk about it in the report. You have to run four secrets at least. We noticed it's it, it's very, very obvious that when you run only three secrets, Stunner becomes worse and Hanar becomes worse. They become from cards that are really, really good in the deck. They almost become liability. Like, what are you running us for Like when you run only three secrets? They're just not active. So you need them to be active. The other thing is Zephyrus. I, like I don't. I, I generally, this is something that happens nearly every expansion. That there is some duplicate deck, a non-singleton deck that happens to have a bunch of card draw, and then people just shove Zephyrus in. Oh, it has card draw, Zephyrus, and Zephyrus is terrible, guys. Don't run Zephyrus in, in Rogue. By the time that Zephyrus is active, you should have already won the game, or the outcome should have already been determined, and. Zephyrus very rarely puts you like it, it doesn't get W's on the board. Let's say that. It's mostly a liability. It's mostly a Bloodfin Raptor. And Rogue cannot afford to just have a card sit dead in its hand for like the majority of its game time. It's just not gonna happen. So drop the Zephyrus. Um run Pharaoh Cats. So this is another thing that I just, you know, why are we cutting Pharaoh Cats? Like are you are you actually crazy, guys? Like Feral Cat has been a top performer in Miracle Rogue from the moment it was introduced in Savers of a Doom to now. It's still one of the top performing cards in the deck. It's one of the best cards you can ever have in your opening hand, and the reason is people just don't think about it enough. If Feral Cat gives you a two drop and you play it on one, it gives you a two drop. It's just it's insane. Like the the it seems so, you know, oh okay, so you play the one drop and a two drop. But if you're a miracle rogue and you get that curve one, two, or you even if you get a a turn three, even if you get a reckless mummy, or you, you get a bone wraith, that's so huge for this archetype to get these kind of strong defensive cards. Now, obviously sometimes you're gonna get Colossus, and that's bad. But it's still, like, the higher percentages that you're going to get a really useful card in the early to mid game. 
I'm guessing that people cut this right after they get Generous Mummy. Like, that would be my guess, is that a lot of people get yeah. Generous Mummy and then just take this out of the deck. The, uh, the chance of just getting, in a soul Demon Hunter-dominated meta, getting Bone Wraith or Cartoot Defender can be game-winning. Uh, even um, the, the Paladin 4-2 Ancestral Guardian, even that can yeah. be really, really strong. It's massive. There are so many good defensive cards that you can get out of Feral Cat. And you know what? If you get Mummy... You just witchy lackey it. You can you can hold it and witchy lackey it. And sometimes, sometimes, uh, what I do with mummy is I use it with um, the rush lackey, right? I use it with uh, is it goblin? Yeah, it's goblin lackey. Goblin. And I shadow step the goblin lackey. Yeah, ah. I shadow step the goblin lackey, and you get ten damage, twelve damage in rush. The mummy. It's obviously bad to get her the generous mummy, but we're talking about the average outcome. The statistical outcome of Cat is really, really high. Cat is an insanely good card. It performs extremely well, and cutting it just hurts, like shaves off like a percentage or two from your overall win rate. I'm talking about one, two percent. This is the difference between tier two and tier one. Uh, like, it can be that big of a difference. So run your Cats. Don't give up on Cat. It's a really good card, even now. And have faith. Now, what we also suggest in the Miracle build is to cut a Questing Adventure. And Questing Adventure is a card that was introduced in Skullman's Academy because of Druid. Because we wanted to beat Druid. Like, people need to think about it. What is Questing Adventure good against in the current meta? Mm, is it good against anything in particular? It can be kind of nice to, if you can outgrow all of Soul Demon Hunter's damage, but also they have so much damage now. With Bladed Lady, you are unlikely to make a Questing Adventure quickly enough that they cannot kill it. Even if they just go like pursuit and let's lady agree. Let's trade. agree with this, okay? It's terrible against any aggro deck. Terrible. Yes, it is. It is just a three mana two two. Garbage. It's remotely useful against Soul Demon Hunter, but usually it's not happening be between uh, before turn five six something like that. It's very rarely going to be strong on turn three or four. You need like shadow steps, and you need to have the coin. When you're running two questing adventurers and you have that thing stuck in your hand against Soul Demon Hunter, it pretty much is game losing. And against Warrior, um, it's you need to flood the board with it with a lot of lackeys so you don't just get Blade Storm. And when you do that, you get Brawled. So questing adventure can be occasionally good in these matchups, but it's on average, it's below average. Right? The, like, it's not a particularly good card. And Druid is going away. Like, we're not seeing a lot of Druid. Clown Druid is a deck that's on the decline. So there's no real good reason to run so many questing adventures. So you run one questing adventure, and that one questing adventure is basically like a second Edwin. Uh, what you really want in the early game against Soul Demon Hunter is to get Edwin. And if you don't get that, then questing adventure can sometimes do something. Uh, so this is why you run one. And running one is fine in this meta. Like, I think people are, like, fixated about Questing Adventurer being a core two of during Skullman's Academy during the time of Druid. And I can tell you that after Druid, the Guardian Animals was nerfed. Uh, if the report, if, if we, if the expansion continued, if there was no new expansion, if we continued to produce the reports for Skullman's Academy, we would have told you back then to start cutting a questing adventure. Because Druid was just disappearing. Like, it was going away. Or at least it became a fringe player in the meta. It wasn't completely disappearing. But it was going away. It was a decent deck. 
it was uh, stabilizing around the 50% win rate, maybe a little bit more at some point because of Galakron Rogue's rise. And at that point, one questing adventure was good enough, was fine. So now we're telling you one questing adventure is definitely good enough. And just focus on having strong plays throughout turn one to five so that then you are in a good position to take advantage of a questing adventure on turn five, six, and such. But if you have two of them, you're going to draw. It's awkward. You usually don't have the resources to invent in two questing adventures. And Edwin, you mostly ran the two questing adventures because you were desperate to always have a snowballing threat against Druid. Now, you're not that desperate to go off with questing adventure on turn three, four. It's just not happening. So just forget about it. So that that's pretty much, I'm very confident that the build where we have in the report is close to being perfect. Uh, we'll see how things further develop, but uh, Questing Venture is definitely not a core card by any means in the current. That was a lot of talk about Questing Adventure and Pharaoh Cat, and I'm here for it. I'm here for the rogue conversation. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's important because, you know, we break perceptions, Hat. We do. We, we tell people what actually works and not what, you know, used to work because inertia is a thing. Uh, when you're used to something being good, you can sometimes not notice when it stops being good. And this is the role of VS telling you, hey, this card is now not that great anymore. Or, hey, this card used to be bad, but now it's great. And the, the core principle and what makes the report successful is the fact that we're never emotionally fixated into a card. And we're never emotionally fixated into hating on a card. If a card is good today, we'll tell you it's good. If it becomes weak in the next week, we'll tell you now it's not so good. The same, uh, the opposite is also true. And that's our that's our role. That's how I see us uh, continuing to help the meta develop and help players fine-tune their decks to be able to perform as well as they can. And all I know is that when I need to find the perfect card, I cut Zephyrus from my deck, I turn to Zakoris instead, and Zakoris tells me what the perfect card is. Exactly. And you're not rotating in four months. So there's one more rogue deck. And it's it does not run it does not run Cthune. No Cthune. No Cthune. Now the thing is, we said in the report, we cannot tell how good Galcron Rogue can be if it drop Cthune, because Cthune is clearly a liability. It's it's it tanks this archetype's worried. It's absolutely horrible. Now if it didn't play Cthulhu, how good would it be? And that was a question that it was difficult for us to answer on Wednesday. However, it's been a few days since then. The report has been published. I'm at, we're on Friday now. And I can tell you that cutting Cthulhu makes Galakrom Rogue actually playable. I mean, it's not the best deck in the meta, but it's very possible that its win rate, instead of being like high tier four, it might be tier two, three, something like that, around the 50% win rate mark. So if you cut Gal uh, Cthulhu from Galakron Rogue and actually play the build that we have in the report that just plays the Galakron cards and uses that as its win condition, you could do okay in this meta. Uh, so we can tell you that. I'm not sure it's great. I'm not sure it's good enough. Uh, you know, the meta is young, so um, things can change and the deck could end up not being good enough and not being selected because of it. But it's okay. It's a lot better. It's much more playable. 
So that's Galakron Rogue. Again, I don't expect... I think most rogues are going to be Miracle. I think Miracle is the way to go. If you want to pilot Valera in this expansion, or at least in the early days, that's what it looks like. Um, that deck has Tier 1 potential. Can get there. If it improves on a few cards, choices that are clear improvements, and if you make those and just play Feral Cats, your win rate's going to be higher. Feral Cat is worth like over 1% in the deck's win rate overall like the difference between running no feral cats and running two it's over one percent that's that's the estimate that's huge so don't cut feral cat if there's any if there's anyone you can trust it's zacco on rogue one drops this year we told you about spy mistress you know we were right about spy mistress back in the day so now it's time to remember feral cat is here another few months get your fill while you can Rogue one drops, good. Rogue wants one drops. Foxy fart. I know a lot of people say, "Hey, let's cut Pharaoh Cat because we have Foxy fart as an early game combo enabler." Right? No, no, no. You want Cat and you want Foxy fart. Uh, okay. So that's Rogue, and I think it's time. I think it's time to talk about a class we haven't really seriously talked about in a podcast. After a report, I'm so excited. Yes. About Shaman. Let's talk about Cage Match Custodian. I mean Shaman. Let's talk about Shaman. Let's talk about Thrall. Thrall has stuff so, to do. do. Do we just label, do we just call every deck, rename every Shaman deck into Custodian Deck 1, Custodian Deck 2, Custodian Deck 3? Because that's what it feels like. That That is the card that makes the class playable, and it's the perfect it's kind the of card. It's the Corsair Cache yeah. of Shaman. It's the Corsair yeah. Cache of Shaman. This card... You know, we gave it four out of four because that, but but honestly, it's a five out of four. That car is just shored up uh, so much uh, in in early in Shaman's consistency in every game plan because every game plan, every archetype that you see right now viable in Shaman or posting good win rates has a weapon that it really wants to draw. Um, so let's start with Evolve, right? Evolve Shaman is currently the best performing Shaman deck. Um, it has a very good matchup spread. However, again, it I'm not sure about its matchups against Soul Demon Hunter and Control Warrior. Uh, not only that, what concerns me is that it seems to be trending in the wrong direction, which means that Control Warrior players and Soul Demon Hunter players are improving in this matchup. There are two possibilities for why this is happening. One is the builds of these decks improve? Or two, the deck, the players improve in the matchup. Now, in Soul Demon Hunter, we already know the build is pretty much concrete. So we can tell, kind of, it kind of tells you that Soul Demon Hunter players are improving in that matchup. And in Control Warrior, there are refinements. There are still ways to improve the deck. But also, it's a deck with at least exhibiting a fairly noticeable skill cap. One of the higher ones, maybe. In this meta, I, I'm not ready to say that yet. In two weeks, ask me what are the most skill-testing decks in the meta. I'll be able to provide a better answer. But the deck is improving its performance across many matchups, and one of them is Evolve Shaman. So, that means that if Evolve Shaman, even though its matchup spread is pretty good, if it, conti if it continues to lose percentages and lose ground in, um, in these two key matchups... It may not be able to last in Tier 1, and it's probably going to drop to Tier 2 or something like that. Uh, but it's going to be a competitive meta deck. It's, it definitely has the tools required to compete. It's very, it has 
like a lot of strengths. It's it's got swing turns, big boards. It can it can generate some oppressive uh, situations for the opponent, and it's definitely difficult to deal with, especially if you're just sitting back and letting it do its thing. Um, but again, it, it doesn't seem to be being the very best decks, the meta defining decks. Uh, when it comes to the build. Uh, we what we focused on, and it seems to be working. I can already tell you, it's working really well. What we did was drop Inara, and we dropped Instructive Fireheart. We dropped the two legendaries. We made the deck cheaper for you. But is free to play means win more? Also, it means win more. These cards are not that important, at least in the current meta. And what's more important is to have ways to interact with the opponent's minions. Which means playing Serpent Shrine, Portal, and Storm Strike. These are three mana spells that allow you to get back to the board by removing your opponent's stuff. Serpentine Shrine Portal develops, while Storm Strike is can kill two minions with for three mana. That's extremely efficient. And sometimes you use that damage to go face. That's cool too. Uh, the point is, Evolve Shaman, we already know it's really good at pushing a lead at staying ahead and leverage that lead to snowball out of control but we know how useless it is when you have a box by knuckles but don't have a board well these cards help you get the board back and we can all i can already tell you that the list that we feature in the report looks very very good very very good now people ask me about you know sea giants and things like that the thing about sea giants is again you need other cards for sea giants to be good you need to have some some board lead in order to leverage it. And it's not really necessary. And when you're falling behind, Sea Giant's not going to do anything for you. So while it isn't a bad card, it was just not, didn't seem to be good enough for us to include in this list. Uh, the same thing can be said for Faceless Corruptor. Faceless Corruptor, even though there's obvious like Evolve Synergy, it's actually kind of awkward to find the tokens to use on it. You don't want to totem Faceless Corruptor on Seb. It's not really something that you want to do. But, Hat, let me give you something from the lab. There's something about Evolve Shaman that we took from the lab. Ask me about the lab, Hat. What did I figure out from the lab? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. It doesn't have the data to back this up enough. But I'm looking at, I was looking at the weakness of that list. And that list weakness might be the Farsights. Now, why do we run Farsight? Because right, Farsight, like this deck lacks card draw. It has no card draw other than Cage Match Custodian. Uh, Prize Vendor and Novice Engineer are played in this deck, but they're very, very bad. So we really need some draw. And Farsight is kind of good in the sense that it can discount like a big card, and that can help you you know, develop a big board, a big swing turn later. Like, you discount a box by Knuckles, or you discount a Desert Hair, or a, a Derailed Coaster, and that's huge. Like, the Farsight discount ability can be huge. And it's a cycle effect, so it kind of helps alleviate the card draw. But it's not an amazing card. What is a card that, a card draw card that could be really good in late game matchups, where Valve Shaman can falter? If it loses steam, if it gets its opponent, uh, its minions removed, I'll make you a real toy hat, Geppetto Joy Buzz hat. Think about it. Oh boy. Think about Geppetto Joy Buzz hat. 
You play an A drop 6 6, you can evolve it on the same turn, and it gives you 1 1s with a really high mana cost sometimes. Imagine getting a Derail Coaster for 1 mana, or a Mogul Flesh Shaper for 1 mana, or a Desert Hair. Pretty much every minion in the deck can be a huge target for Geppetto Joy Boss. And what makes this really cool is that, you know. I looked into ways to make Evolve Shaman better in slower matchups like Warrior, for example, right? So you're looking for some sustainability, some card draws, some late game threats. And Geppetto could be fit the bill. I'm just suggesting it to our listeners. If you want to do the Zacco, um, if you want to take something straight from the Zacco lab and try it out on ladder, cut the far sights, and you're running into a lot of Warriors, let's say. Cut the far sights. Run Instructor Fireheart, which is a card that we didn't see to be good enough now in this very aggressive meta. But as the meta slows down, Fireheart could end up being good enough. And run Geppetto jo Joybus. And see whether Geppetto Joybus is a thing. Um, I have a little bit of data on it. It's not something I invented. There are actually people, some people, playing Geppetto Joybus. And it seems promising, at least in late game matchups. And uh, this is the little scoop that I have. So, Geppetto. It's actually kind of brilliant when you think about it. Zach, I do have a question. Is is the lab in your mind, or do you have like a room that you go to in your house when you're when you're brewing? I mean, there's an actual lab. It's just not a lab where I put on a white coat and and stuff. It's just like like you can think about my computer, right? It has this all these windows of all this information and stuff. And so it's like, a virtual lab. Yeah, it's a virtual lab. It's not an actual lab. There, there are no gloves and things like that. But I mean, you can wear gloves if you want to. I'm not here to judge. You do whatever you want to do. All right. I mean, it's a little bit cold sometimes. But yeah, anyway, Geppetto, Instructor Fireheart, two late game engines that could be good against Warrior. Consider those if you're running into that matchup increasingly uh, more. But again, as I said, the sure thing, the thing that I know absolutely performs very well, is just the list that we have in the report. Uh, I can already tell you that list is very good. So it might not need that Geppetto to be insane. Uh, it's just an interesting thing that I stumbled upon. Anyway, uh, other Shaman decks. We've got Totem Shaman. And Totem Shaman, we kind of summed it up in the report. right? Beats bad decks, loses to good decks. Uh, you remember we talked about my simulations, my ability to simulate the future hat. And I did simulation for Totem Shaman, and I realized, I came to the conclusion that bad decks are going to see less play, while good decks are going to see more play. And that's not good for Totem Shaman, because it Beats the bad decks and loses to the good decks. Look at this advanced no? data analysis. I hope you're in the lab for this one. That bad decks are going to show up less often. This is straight up from the lab. There's like a huge, like there's a PowerPoint, a huge PowerPoint uh, title says saying bad decks. And you see the Totem Shaman matchup spread. And you see all the red dots are bad matchup, uh, bad decks. And the green dots are good decks. Like it's very elaborate. I bet you're holding a clipboard. I bet you're holding a clipboard and you're looking at that and you're and you're just frantically writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting, very interesting development. So Totem Shaman is probably, even though it seems to be performing well right now, it's probably going to tank. And so don't be surprised when it does. When it does tank, we'll tell you, hey, 
we warned you. We warned you guys. It was going to tank. It should be noted that Jambre is running Totem Evolve Shaman. And it should also be noted that Jambre does whatever he wants with Shaman. So, like, you know, just... And wins with it. So that's... Yeah. If you were Jambre and you were listening to this podcast, we're glad to have you as a listener. You keep doing you. If you are not Jambre, this is a Jambre deck. I'm just... The thing about Jambre, it's very difficult because he makes everything work. So, you know, he could he could build a good deck uh, and it will be proven to be good, right? And he can build a list that's not as optimal as it could be and it will still look good in the hands of Jombre because it's Jombre. So you really need to see the data before you judge. Um, I'm not sure about this totem package thing, but I'm not... Uh, we'll, we'll have to pick it up and see whether it's worth it. If it is, we'll mention it in the next week's report. If it isn't, then it won't. But, you know, Jombre is going to continue to refine Shaman and work on... Uh, new iterations of the class, and and that's a very good thing because he's. Uh, it's very important to have these kind of players in the community that drive uh, innovation and try to figure out how to improve lists, even when they look to refine, right? Because sometimes we refine a deck three weeks after three weeks in session. Okay, this is refined, and then somebody like John Brick comes in, and says, "Oh, this card is better than a card that exists in this deck," and we find out, hey, that is true. And then there are new developments. So uh, these people are very important for the development of the meta, and uh, we appreciate all of them. Anyway, so Totem Shaman probably going to tank. I don't think, like, it has an issue where I don't see how it's better than Evolve Shaman in any way. Uh, But then we have Agro Shaman. Agro Shaman with Doomhammer. Right now, you know, it's performing good. It's okay. But... It has promising, it doesn't have the matchups right now, but it has the promising potential of doing well enough against both Soul Demon Hunter and Control Warrior. And Shaman, that's pretty much the key to his success. Evolve Shaman needs to improve percentages there, it needs to stop the bleeding there, and if Agro Shaman can match up well against those two decks, it has a future in the meta. Now, here's the thing about the build. We featured the build in uh, this week's report, uh, suggesting to cut Voracious Reader, which is performing horribly in this deck, for diligent note takers. Now, it's very obvious. We like it's very we very quickly came to the conclusion that Reader is bad in this deck because it just doesn't dump its cards quickly enough. You think about Reader decks, you think about decks that have really, really low curve and don't hold cards in hand. Agro Shaman with Doom Hammer does hold cards in hand, and that hurts Reader. So we were looking into, again, with the scarce data that we had about alternative, we didn't have much, right? We had Geppetto level of data on other cards. And we said, okay, note-taker might be the thing. And we suggest cutting Voracious Reader for note-taker because it's kind of a reload card, right? It's not a straight-up draw card, but you can play it on two. It lines up well into Serpentine Shrine, Serpentine, uh, Serpentine Portal and Stormcraft. Uh, storm strike right um you can so you can play it on curve and it's a threat but late game it gives you burst you can do doom hammer equip doom hammer and then note taker rock biter and then the next turn another rock biter that you generated from note taker you can do it with lava burst as well you can do it with lightning bolt you can do it with torrent imagine you discount a torrent to one mana the next turn and then you can play two torrents you deal eight damage to two minions for two mana and the note taker so uh, Note-Taker has a lot of potential, logically speaking. It was just a disappointing card in the last expansion. But I can already tell you right now that Note-Taker is good. 
this is the card that Agro Shaman was missing. Uh, and it's far better than Voracious Reader, which is good news for this archetype because if everybody right now started running Note Taker instead of Voracious Reader, you would see a, a drastic improvement, internal improvement in the archetype's performance, which gives it the scope for improvement needed to be able to stand the test of time and the Dark Moon Fair. So if Agro Shaman makes that development, makes that adjustment, improves its performance in multiple matchups as a result, then I can see it um, succeeding in the long term. So we'll see how things further develop with the archetype. The archetype does have some other issues, some flaws that can prevent it from being successful in the long term, but this is an encouraging sign. This brings us to enemy number two, soon to become enemy number one in the Dark Moon Fair, which is Warrior. Soul Demon Hunter, we know. It's the number one deck right now. But we already told you in this report that Control Warrior is very likely, and this is something I'm confident about, that ETC Control Warrior is going to be the best deck in the game. It's going to happen. Now, it's possible that there will be new meta trends that knock it down eventually, but it's on its path to becoming the number one deck because it has a favorite matchup against Soul Demon Hunter, and its bad matchups are very, very rare. Like, Priest not doing so much, uh, Druid not doing so much. And then when you look at it, how it matches against the top meta decks, it's just insane. Now, it, Control Warrior is kind of an interesting spot, right? Because you've got very different builds and different ranks. And at lower ranks, you see, you know, slower builds. And then at higher ranks, you mostly see the NTC combo. So the archetype performs pretty poorly at lower ranks and then at higher ranks it just looks insane and it continues to improve in its win rate every uh day and at this point when i look at you know the legend data um that we're we see coming in over like the last few days like it basically has no bad matchups like other than clown druid it, it just can beat everything Control Warrior looks un almost unstoppable. Like, we need to see some revival of Priest in order to see something stopping this monster. So, Control Warrior right now looks like the scariest deck. Scarier than Soul Demon Hunter from a balanced perspective, in my opinion, because it just it looks almost near uncounterable. Uh, and for it to be stopped, you need to see some fringe players coming back. So, we need that bug fix on uh, Nazmani Blood Reaver, for example. That's for sure. Uh, so, Control Warrior, very, very intimidating. When it comes to its build, it even has ways to improve, which makes it even more scary, right? Because with the build we feature in the report, I'm not actually sure it's the best build. Uh, we need more data on it because there are some unknown factors, and one of them is Galakron. Now, there is some justification for Galakron when people say, okay, you run Galakron because if your opponent can potentially avoid playing minions, then they can fatigue you. They can just prevent you from having rush uh, minions to rush into in order to execute your OTK. So if you're like playing against like a priest and he just sits there, or a rogue and he just sits there and he can let you die because you cycle aggressively. The thing is though is that yeah, and then you play Galakron and you punch them in the face and you force them to play something. The, the thing is though, you have Rattlegore. And Rattlegore is a card that's definitely like, oh, okay, you're not going to play anything? <laughs> I'm just going to play my Rattlegore. And if you're not going to do anything about that, I'm going just going to copy it and win through Rattlegores. Uh, so Rattlegore is kind of that inevitability that prevents 
a opponent from like not playing things, right? So in that role, I think Radical is just far better. Um, the only chance I see Galakrond to be like really good or important is that if Priest comes back. That's the situation where I say, okay, there's a role for both Rattlegore and Galakron in the same list because Rattlegore can be yoinked and it's a very risky card to play against priests, right? Uh, so Rattlegore, uh, so Galakron can do the job there, do do a lot better uh, in that specific matchup. But in other matchups right now, in most matchups in the meta, priest is not that relevant. I don't see a role for Galakron. So what we suggest in the report is that Control Warrior might step forward even more if it cuts Galakron. For like a card like Minefield. And Minefield is a card that we would love to include in the deck because we know it's really strong. In the early game, it's insane, especially in the current meta that's very aggressive. It's it's crazy how good that card is. It just like if you have it in your opening hand against an aggressive deck, it's almost impo- it's impossible to lose at that point. Because you have Skipper too, so you it's like their board is always cleared. Uh, or like a paladin, they play good at two shields, and you just minefield. It's just a perfect answer, right? Well, like you play in the mid game, lapidary. It kills a lapidary hat. It yeah. kills a lapidary. It's a really good deal. Like a two mana Dinobot activation is a really or Dinomatic is a really really yeah. good deal. Yeah, it's just really strong. So we we looked into the build and we 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 asked ourselves, okay, so what happens if we cut Galakron and one brawl for two minefields? Then this cat that could be unstoppable. Now it's very difficult to assess how good the deck is without Galakron because we need some data on players not running Galakron so then we can make a better comparison on how important that card is because there, it's a very unique card, right? It has a unique effect. So it's difficult to compare it to other cards in the deck in order to evaluate its performance. So once we see that, we'll figure out if Galakron is important or not. My tip to you guys, listeners to the podcast is try the double minefield build and cut a brawl. Now you're telling me, oh, we cut brawl? Are you crazy, Zacho? And I'll tell you no. You know why I'm not crazy? Because we're running double broomstick. Double broomstick means that bear off uptime is basically 100%. Like there's always something to do with bear off. And if bear off is always active and you always have that guaranteed board clear, that essentially sometimes like just makes up for the fact that you're running one less brawl. Maybe you don't need that brawl that desperately if the bear of always has a broomstick buddy. So, and the other thing, we know from history that warrior decks that were defensive in nature, that ran brawls, when they became cycle-heavy, they started cutting a brawl. Because brawl is a card, it's a situational card, it's an expensive card. It's a five-mana card that's not good in any situation. And if you're trying to cycle aggressively to a combo, it can get stuck in your hand and be very awkward. Now, also, when you cycle this aggressively and this quickly, you're going to draw a brawl. Like, you're more likely to draw that single copy of brawl when you need it. So there's some historical reference that suggests that cutting a brawl could possibly be okay in this deck and also the data currently suggests that brawl is not that strong in the deck anyway uh it's mostly good in the shaman matchup if i'm if i'm looking at any relevant matchup in the current meta where brawl is clearly good at shaman which is kind of why i'm still a little bit scared of cutting it but it's possible that having double minefield and the barrel of broomstick 
by running two broomsticks, you have a much more consistent barrel. You're not going to need that second row. So the deck, the deck is cheaper, more efficient. It's easier to cycle, and it's easier to get to your win condition. Um, and then maybe brawl is not that important, and you gain other areas. So that's how I would refine uh, ETC Control Warrior right now. And that deck looks scary. Maybe if we run into like more clowns, then we need the second brawl and the bear off. But also that matchup is just kind of tricky, anyways. No, the thing is, the thing is, brawl is not even that amazing against druid because what beats clowns is bladestorm. Uh, and we already have such a clean answer, yeah. Because you just bladestorm yeah, them you, and you're fine. You just need to save your bladestorm in that matchup for the clowns. Like it's so if you cycle aggressively, like sometimes that brawl is even going to interfere with you being able to cycle. So I think. Uh, it's mostly Shaman. Now, it can be good against Rogue. Again, like the questing adventure, I play a bunch of lackeys. It's a really clean answer to that. Or Edwin. Uh, Brawl often uh, deals with those situations. Uh, but it's possible that it's okay to run one uh, in this meta. We'll have to see. But it, it's a, it's something that people can definitely experiment with. And especially when, when Minefield just looks so good. Like the upside of Minefield could be enough to offset a loss of a Brawl. So, and yeah, double double minefield is still good. Like, there's no, it's not like they're redundant. They make each, each copy makes itself redundant. You always want minefield in your opening hand in a lot of matchups. It's just so good. It, it just cleanly answers so many of uh, the opponent's board development. Now, so that's the ma major developments in Warrior. There are two other archetypes that don't see a lot of play, but are very, very good. One is Bomb Warrior. It's in the power rankings. We see it's tier one. Bomb Warrior hat. Now, the thing about Bomb Warrior that scares me even more is the fact that people aren't even running Minefield there. And my Zacco instincts tell me, based on how Minefield performs in Control Warrior, that Minefield is probably going to be an amazing car in Bomb Warrior because Bomb Warrior is a deck, you know, that sits around, plays Cash on 2, gets hit in the face from turn 1 to 3, and then plays a wrench Caliber. In an aggro matchup, it can get punished pretty heavily. And if you have a minefield in the early game to just deal with that early aggression, that makes playing your wrench caliber on four that much easier and less punishing. So we recommend, highly recommend, to run minefield and bomb where people are not doing that. They're just running the old school man's build. Very confident based on how minefield performs at Control Warrior. It's going to be insane in Bomb Warrior. Guaranteed. I'm telling you, that's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. <sighs> My biggest concern is that Bomb Warrior will be playable for another meta, and I'll have to deal with it. Because I don't like drawing bombs and dying. Unfortunately, had that's probably what's going to happen. And you know what else is important to note about Bomb Warrior? Is that it's got a good, pretty good matchup against Control Warrior. Oh, now, I was going to say that it rotates in four months. That's what I was going to say is important. <laughs> now, you, you may ask, hey, how is it possible, right? Because Control Warrior naturally should be being... Bomb Warrior, but the fact is, the Control Warrior today is a bit of a weird combo-ish deck, right? That cycles very aggressively. Like they, they can't rush into your stuff all that much if you just don't play minions, so you just don't that run is out true. of Rattlegore. That is true as well, so you have to rely on Rattlegore, and that's very, very slow against um, bombs. <laughs> so, And if you're playing Mercenary, you can still die, because you're gonna fatigue. <laughs> so... Yeah, so I'm not saying that, that matchup, is, it's not like, don't take it, like, it's not a hard counter, right? It's not like, but Bomb Warrior does okay, does pretty, like, much better than Control Warrior from Skullman's. Um That matchup is more convenient for the Bomb Warrior than it used to be. So, Bomb Warrior is good, 
Uh, and as the meta becomes less aggressive, it's probably going to get even better. And as people start realizing that Minefield is probably going to be insane card in that archetype, and there is definitely space to include it in that list, then I think it's going to get even better. Um, and it's going to be around. Also, Enrage Warrior is a deck that isn't even in the power rank because its sample size is even lower but we can even tell based on the low sample sizes that it's good <laughs> and rage warrior is good and the reason why enrage warrior is good is because it has the same win condition and faster matchups uh, as control warrior which is skipper armorsmith blood swarm mercenary so that works but also it's got a burst combo it's not as otk-ish as the etc combo but it gets the job done. Now, interesting thing. I've seen some ideas about in, in, including the ETC combo in uh, in Rage Warrior with uh, in a Rage. So you don't want like uh, you don't want Penflinger or Guardian or, or Merchant. You run in a Rage, and you can still do a lot of damage. And you don't need to run Kokron Elite, and you're no longer countered by Taunts because that damage just goes through no matter what. So. That's an interesting, with like stage dive, you run stage dive and double animated broomstick. Really interesting idea. Not seeing much play in ladder. We'll see if people pick up on that idea. But yeah, it's good. Oh, by the way, next week we'll also answer uh, the question about Control Warrior, whether we run Penflinger or Guardian Og Merchant. I will say that Guardian Og Merchant could be better than Penflinger. Like, based on the initial impressions that I'm getting over the last few days, it's possible that it is better. It makes, like, since ETC gets Divine Shield, you copy it, you can run into things without it dying, so your damage potential goes up. From like, you, you can easily do, like, 40 damage if the ETCs don't die. So, that could be cool. Now, Penflinger does have, you can use it to stretch some removal in the early game by playing a Penflinger into some, like, shield block, and that can sometimes help you kill something. But, um, you know, Guardian Augmentation can also sometimes do that, so... It's uh, it's it's not going to make a huge difference, but we'll, we'll look into that. Yeah, it's just a question of flexibility, or do you need six more damage guaranteed? And well, we don't know yet, because it's context-dependent. Um, typically, I think in the Control Warrior Mirror, I think the goal is to get well above 42, so you don't have to worry about that, and then you can just play your Rattlegore and copy it. Yeah, Rattlegore is really critical in the mirror, but I don't know if the if the if the combo if the combo damage is guaranteed like over like can be over 40. Maybe you can, like, maybe there will be some weird meta where you play Guardian Argumentor now, and that's enough to run into the Rattlegores and just OTK, and that maybe pushes Rattlegore out of the meta. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, so Warrior looks very, very good, and ETC is a combo that just gives Control Warrior the inevitability that it needed to be extremely powerful and scary. So, yeah. Um... Keep this in your mind. I'm not going to ask this now, but I'm going to ask you after we go through each class of which which cards you would change. If you were changing cards, just think about that. Just know that's coming because I think okay, that Demon Hunter coming. and Warrior, Demon Hunter and Warrior, probably have the uh, uh, the the. I'm main not sure we need nerfs though, Had. I'm gonna. I'm, gonna, I'm not sure I'm, either. I'm not sure, but let's continue. Uh, so we have the next class, which is a bit of a fringe class, but it's a, a lot of attention, which is uh, Druid. And uh, this is a class that's close to my heart in this expansion, at least because uh, pretty much the build that uh, is in the report is the one that I kind of worked on and refined. Also the variation of it. So the, the in short, the TLDR here is that Clown Druid is a clown deck 
that gets rolled over by aggressive decks, but happens to be the top two mana defining decks. That puts it in a weird spot where it's like, okay, so it's really bad against everything, but it beats the best decks. So what do we do with Clown Druid? The answer is you probably only play it at top legend because it's really good again. It's a lot better there than it is throughout general ladder. So if you want to play Clown Druid, you probably have to be a top legend player trying to counter the Soul Demon Hunters and the Control Warriors. Now, in terms because the of deck builds, is so skill testing, right? That's why. <laughs> yeah, it's very skill testing. Only the best players, only the hands of the best players, can you draw a ramp consistently. The lesser players just don't get the ramp, and they also don't emote as much as the best players, uh, like me. Uh, so if you oh, no. don't turn like Zach, like you're a I am, PMer? I am a superior uh, player. I am a, a top legend player who knows to greet my opponent on turn four when I have overgrowth. You've been spending too much time with Impact. That's what's happening here. Been no, spending too no. much time around Impact. I've been penfling it too much. I think the penfling BM is affecting my play in other uh, archetypes. I think the, the the BM meta has developed because of penflingers, Libram Paladin success in Skullman's Academy, and now I cannot just I, I can't help but emote when I have overgrowth. I mean, come on. I mean, I'm a druid. I like druid. I think is my third most played class. So I've I've been druiding it quite a bit over the history of Hearthstone. And you just it's not even BM, it's just a natural instinct when you have ramp. Wild growth on turn two, you don't get the my greetings, it just doesn't feel right. It's also like Hazelback. Like people are playing that. Like that's not good. Guys, the just tree is out. weird. Yeah, the tree is yeah, weird. Yeah, you can't, you yeah can't the tree do that. is weird. No, no. Yeah. Um so Clown Druid, really good against Soul Demon Hunter. Like it's it's good against all the decks that die to giant boards and big taunts because it does both in the same turn. And also because you've got a, a whole bunch of zero mana giant minions and ramps that they can interact with. That makes sense. Yeah, and if you really want to counter these two decks harder, even harder, then you swap out to the flex card, like, to the tech cards that we have in the report, which uh, you cut the Lunar Eclipse and the Gidra, which are mostly good in the fast matchups, right? You cut them for Amulet, which gives you more armor against Demon Hunter, gets duplicated by Yasharaj, and you add the Yasharaj, which makes a warrior pretty much it's impossible for a warrior to be able to outlast you. They have to be able to draw their combo and kill you before you get to the overwhelming stage. And that can be rough when you're playing ramp. Uh, so uh, I, I do like the Clown Druid deck. I enjoy it. It's fun, but it's not good uh, in general ladder play. So there's a very narrow... A number of players, I think, that can effectively use it. And it's not because of skill. It's because of just the way the meta is at higher legend. So that's pretty much it for Druid. Other, you know, I've seen some Malagos Druid. They look not so good hat. You know, you'll see some individual success on Twitter. But these are the people who report that they're doing well with a deck. We're not hearing about the ones who don't do well with Malagos Druid, and I can see in the data, there's a lot of players who are not doing well with that deck, so... My experience about with Malagos Druid has been that that deck is mega bait, and that it is... It's, I have played two games with it, and then deleted it twice. Why would you play Malagos when you can play Clowns? I mean, come on, look at these Clowns! Because there's Gadget and Auctioneer, and I'm weak. I wanted to play with Auctioneer again. Gadgets and Auctioneer, I will say, has been a proper bait card for many years. Uh, yes, it got me. Because people just people just want to 
Go back to the... It's not coming back. You know I love Miracle Road back in Classic, but it's not coming back, Hat. just isn't. I just want to draw cards. I just want to draw cards. Speaking of drawing cards... Speaking of drawing cards and being bad, let's talk about the Warlock class. Let's talk about that. Yeah. (sighs) So, you know, uh, am I going to have another rant about Control Warrior sucking? A Control Warlock sucking? Um... No, I don't think so. I think I'll save save, save my breath. Control Warlock is bad. The only way it's remotely not as bad is when you run the Dragon Package, Nether Breath. There's kind of cute synergy in there. You know, Twin Tyrant and Strongman is kind of cool. And Circus Amalgam is kind of cool because you can draw it with some demons. And act, you, you activate it with Nether Breath. Like it helps you activate Nether Breath, so your Nether Breath is more consistent. So your healing is more consistent, so you're not as bad. But there are a lot of bad builds playing like Free Admission and Midway Maniac and Imprisoned Vilefiend, and these are control decks, and somehow people are playing them and losing a lot with them, and they're just a waste of time. Did I mention that uh, Control Warlock has a 2080 matchup against Soul Demon Hunter? If I didn't, I'll mention it again. Control Warlock has a 2080 matchup against Soul Demon Hunter. Just forget it. Forget it. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good. Yeah. So Galakron Warlock is the a little bit better because you have Plague of Flames, and that's a pretty good card. You have the proactivity of Galakron that can be an intimidating play that can pressure opponents. It's a little bit better, but it's still kind of sucky. Warlock will have to rely on Zoo to be good. Now, Zoo has a chance. It has a chance. Uh, its matchup against Warrior is actually workable. Uh, it's okay. Soul Demon Hunter, not so much. But uh, I do see some promise in the build that runs uh, Philosophy. Philosophy seems to be a good card when you're running more demons in your deck. And the Zoo build that we have in the report is kind of good. Um... One of the cards that's not included in the deck is Rascal. And, you know, people ask us about Rascal. Wait, is Rascal not good? And I'm saying Rascal is okay. It's definitely not a bad card. It just couldn't get into this list. Now, it's possible if the meta slows down, then Rascal could become good enough to put in the deck because it's mostly good in slow matchups. And right now, the meta has been very fast. If the meta slows down a little bit, we'll reevaluate Rascal, and it's possible that we'll include it in the build. But right now, I'm I'm really liking the philosophy um, Felwin combo. It's pretty good. Like you, you know, you smack your opponent in the face, you reduce uh, um, Felwin to zero mana, and you copy it with philosophy, and you get beefy cards for zero mana. So that seems to be working okay. But again, if the meta slows down, very possible that we'll revisit uh, that build. But Zoo is okay. I think. Zoo has a chance to maybe improve to Tier 2, something like that. Uh, but I don't expect too much of it. And it's also possible that it's just not going to work out either. Like, it's possible that he's just going to keep tanking. Uh, that's where I fear. Like, I'm fearing that if Zoo is not exceptionally good, or it doesn't drastically improve its performance, then Warlock will kind of feel like a death class. But we'll see. It's possible that Zoo can stay around Tier 2 or something like that and remain competitive. And Gul'dan will have something to do. It's not going to be just dead. Yeah, it feels like a deck that if you had a very specific Conquest target in mind, you could include Zoo. On the latter, I just struggle to find a reason to play it over other stuff right now. 
Um, and I don't really see that changing unless the cards and the format change. And let me tell you, I, I do not want to play Zoo against Stormstrike. I do not want to do that. That seems like a, a nightmare. It's it's not it's not just that. It's mostly the problem is the Soul Demon Hunter matchup. Oh yeah, I mean that goes without Demon saying. Demon Hunter just Demon Hunter just. I, I think Zoo is fine against Evolve Shaman. It honestly is fine. That matchup is is close enough. Um, it's not. It's definitely not the reason why I'm concerned uh, with Zoo. It's mostly the Soul Demon Hunter matchup. They just destroy you. Uh, and there's le- very little you can do about it. Just Mystic just wrecks you, and you know, and Control Warrior. Well, you can survive. Like it's it's uh, it's a matchup is better than people think it is, but it's you know you're not beating them. It's not like you win. Maybe you go fifty fifty. Maybe you go a little worse than fifty fifty, but you're not beating anyone, <laughs> right? So you're not beating shamans, and you're not beating warriors, and you're losing to soul demon hunters. And you're not good against Hunter either. So what are you doing, right? So unless Zoo like improves its performance uh, by a few percentages, key percentages, some matchups, it might end up whiffing. So that that that's mainly the problem that I see with the archetype. Uh, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I I'm just not recommending it ever at Top Legend. Don't play it on Top Legend. It's probably not going to work out for you. Maybe on the Climb Legend. When there are less of those really good decks that pounce you, then it's it's more reasonable. So that's Warlock. Not looking too great, to be honest. Uh, there are a lot of classes that don't look too great in the first week. You've got Druid, a little bit fringe, and Warlock is looking a little bit fringe. And we'll talk about a more fringe class uh, later. But yeah, uh, that's the situation. That's unfortunate. Soul Demon Hunter just killing everyone. Yep. Especially the Warlock class. Well, I mean... The Warlock class is kind of just, it's not just Demon Hunters, it's more everything you can do with Warlock, another class can do one of the things better, so there's just not really a reason to go out of your way for it, I can say. Yeah, but the thing is that Demon Hunter specifically, like, relentlessly destroys every Warlock deck. If there's a class that is hurt most by the presence of Demon Hunter, it's definitely Warlock. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, it will be hoping that things start countering Soul Demon Hunter so that Warlock gets a little bit more breathing room. Speaking of uh, classes that don't give you much breathing room, we have Hunter. And Hunter is another class that, you know, it's it's good. And it's slept on. You know, Hunter always seems to be slept on. However, I can tell you, based on the devel- developments over the last few days, is that people are realizing that Hunter is good, and they're playing it more and more. Especially Highlander Hunter. Especially at Legend and Top Legend. I'm seeing an increased presence in Highlander Hunter. And the reason why this deck is so good is because it goes even against both Soul Demon Hunter and Control Warrior. We talked about, you know, in the report, we mentioned Face Hunter 2. The problem with Face Hunter is that it loses to these two decks. It loses to these two decks. And by a, a, a significant margin. These are unfavorable matchups. And if you're a deck that loses to these two decks, I'm not going to have much faith in you in being you know, a significant player, especially at higher levels of play. But when I look at Highlander Hunter and I see a matchup spread that almost has no weaknesses, that is capable of matching well against both of these two titans that can beat Shaman, that can do a lot of that can disrupt Rogue pretty significantly with this extended secret package. Rogues hate playing against secrets. Let me tell you, when Hunter equips Ringling's Rifle, 
You can hear the rogues groan. Oh, that card is so good. A huge, it's such a huge problem for rogues specifically. But yeah, a Highlander Hunter really good um, against you know the, these these uh, mid rangey tempo classes like Shaman and Rogue, and obviously it stomps Druid. Obviously it stomps Warlock like everybody else does. So I'm seeing a really good matchup spread for Highlander Hunter that suggests suggests to me that it's a top tier deck. And Highlander Hunter is doing insanely well right now. And it's arguably, maybe over the last three days, is actually the best deck in the game. Like, in the days, like in a couple of days since the report, it performs right now as the number one deck. Now, that should change. Um, as I said, I expect Warrior to eventually take over, but Highlander Hunter is doing extremely well. And that's true at every level of play, including Top Legend. It's a great Top Legend deck too, guys. So... Yeah, I've been looking, I look at the gold app like every, every, multiple times a day. And Highlander Hunter, every time I check, the win rate goes up. So, yeah, it's going up because it's just, like, things are lining up well for it. There are a lot of meta trends right now, low-key meta trends that help it even more. And it just lines up well against the top meta decks and has very few weaknesses. So I'm really liking Highlander Hunter in the current meta. Uh, it's exceptionally strong. Um, just, just a deck that you can... Just queue on ladder and never worry about a bad matchup. Honestly, it's just a deck that like there is no opponent that you really have to fear if you're queuing, and that's interesting because Soul Demon Hunter definitely has opponent that you can fear, but Highlander Hunter doesn't seem to have that. So I'm not saying it's better than Soul Demon Hunter, no, but it it definitely feels like a deck that just very difficult to beat. Now, obviously, it's build. It's another build that we refined in the theory crafting set, like <laughs> article. So, like, we figured out early that the build is working perfectly. There's no changes, which means there's no scope for improvement, too, right? So, it's going to stick there, and it's probably going to fall in its winter that the other decks become more efficient and figure out uh, new things, new ways to adjust and improve. But it's still going to be great. Like, it's still going to be very strong. Face Hunter, um, it's Obviously strong on a climb to legend, but when you face a lot of control warriors and soldier managers, you really don't want to run that. You want to run Highlander Hunter, the deck with Dino Timmer brand. That card is really good against both Warrior and Demon Hunter as a finisher. Um, and it's a deck that doesn't get blown out by Mystic and Skipper as much as Face Hunter does. So I highly recommend it. Death Rattle Hunter is a deck that's probably gonna die out. Um like it has a lot of cool synergies. Uh, Broomstick is a card that's uh, worth running for sure because of your ability to generate big boards um, but it's just not getting the job done it's horrible horrible against any aggressive deck it's like a very polarizing deck if you want to be disappointed by a cool deck then Death Rattle Hunter is the deck for you because it yeah, will yeah. be it's, it's so good at doing like almost enough at anything and it's not good at all about actually getting there ever so if you want to take a cool deck and have cool turns and then be sad at the end of the game you can't do better. Like honestly, Death Rattle Hunter might be more polarizing of a deck than Clown Druid. Like it's insane how good it is in slower matchups. Everything, anything that lets it breathe, right? Just it just destroys it. Like anything. But when it faces any deck that plays a one drop and a two drop, it just falls off. Like it's just really, really bad against those. So the deck is probably not good enough. Now there might be some improvements, some, but I'm not seeing it. The thing. The thing is, usually when I see an under underperforming archetype, I search if there are builds that are drastically better than others. So then I, I you know, we direct people, hey, try this direction out. This is promising. With Death Rattle Hunter, I'm not seeing those promising directions that suggest that this archetype has a higher ceiling. 
So this is why I'm kind of low on it, and it's probably not going to pan out. But that's, you know, Hunter in short, uh, pretty much to the point. Highlander Hunter, one of the best decks in the game. We put it in the Meta Breaker for a reason. It's just really, really good. I would put it at the same level as Soul Demon Hunter and Control Warrior. The only difference is that Soul Demon Hunter and Control Warrior are the meta-defining decks. They shape the format. They affect how other decks are formed. Highlander Hunter is not really there. It's there, and it's thriving in their presence, but it's not really defining things uh, for others, and it's not going to adjust that much uh, in the future. So it's just going to be a raw power deck that's going to do very well and it's going to be very difficult to beat it consistently i wish hunter had more to do this year because it had a couple like really cool strategies that emerged early on in in ashes and they haven't really changed a ton but also uh, it's still competitive it's still good i don't know yeah it's just uh maybe maybe we've had enough of this face or highlander and that's it well it's face or like face with bran Right, like it's yeah, it's, basically, because it's essentially yeah, you are correct. It's not even like it doesn't even feel that much like a different deck because in Ashes have the we same were at least plan. playing the Grand Slam sometimes, and and DQA was unnerfed, and we were doing that. But now we're it's just it's face or face with Bran, and we've tried to build Death Rattle Hunter, and I think two or three different expansions, and it's never been a real thing. I mean, I think that right now Death Rider Hunter looks more like a Hearthstone deck than it's ever been before, right? Since the days of Cube Hunter, yeah. I haven't seen a more fleshed out Death Rattle centric deck, but it's just not, like, the power level is just not there. Like, the early game, the ability to fend off aggression is just not there. Uh, speaking of underrated slept on classes, of course, we have Paladin. Like, these have been a pair throughout Skullmance of being sleeper good. Uh, and Paladin is also showing some new developments. Over the last couple of days, new so the, the new scoops. Yeah, yeah. You mean new, your no, no, not that one, not that one, not that one. So yeah, okay. so obviously, pure paladin, pure paladin is the hardest counter in the game to soul demon hunter, and that already puts it some value into that archetype. Uh, now, obviously, as a deck that we know is a little bit limited in its skill ceiling, it's not like it's it's a bit of a curved deck. It doesn't have too many decisions. I would say over the history of Hearthstone, it's definitely one of those decks that definitely show hitting a wall at high levels of play. Though, I am top 200 legend right now on EU with Pure Paladin. So it's it's working out for me. A build that's very different. You can check it out on Twitter. However, this build is not, not something that I would recommend uh, on general ladder. Like throughout most of the ladder, unless you're playing a top legend, I don't recommend it because it specifically targets Warrior and Soul Demon Hunter, those two decks. I have, you may have noticed, I have a fixation. I've had a fixation over the last week in just countering Soul Demon Hunter and Control Warrior. I've done it with Cloundred. I refined Cloundred in order to do well in these two matchups. And now I refined Pure Paladin in order to do very well in these matchups. Basically, had I'm building a Conquest lineup that leaves both up. <laughs> uh, so I already made two decks that do that. That want to leave them up and just try to counter them. Which is kind of a strategy that I really like doing in Conquest. Just leave up the two best decks and just counter them. And if I can't do that, I'm inclined to do so. So uh, even though I don't play Conquest, but I just tell other... I advise other people to do these maverick uh, strategies. So From the lab. Yeah, yeah. From the lab. So Pure Paladin, good... 
probably not going to look as good as time goes on because, again, other decks are going to improve. Its build is uh, close to being refined. Its best build for general ladder play. I think No Hands Gamer is the one who propagated it. Hammer of the Narrow looks like a good card. Good standalone card. Just a 6-mana, 3-3 weapon with a 6-6 six, six talk. Pretty efficient, pretty good. Your only choice, I think, is Braggart or Shotbot. Shotbot better against aggressive decks. There have been a lot of aggressive decks this week. This is why he's in the main build. However, over time, we might switch to Braggart because it's just better in slow matchups and it's also better in the mirror. So that's pure Paladin. Uh, I don't recommend my build, again, outside of Top Legend, unless you meet those two matchups, it's not going to do as well. I, I will tell uh, you one thing, Zach. I have played your list, and I did face a matchup that you did not face. It was Highlander, Cthune, Paladin. And they Cthuned me, and I won anyways. Yeah, because you it's a beefy deck. It's a beefy oh, yeah. It's more like a, it's like a control pure Paladin. It's a more reactive deck. Just it, it piles stats to the board, but it does it in a control Paladin way. You're very good defensively. You have a lot of healing and stuff. It's just, the deck is... The deck is healing and 8-8 taunts. That's the entire deck. That's all there is. It it kind of reminds me of Control Paladin back in Angoro, which is a deck that I really enjoyed playing. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, it just appeals to my play style. So I, I, I do well with it. Again, it depends on where you are at ladder. Um, generally, it's better to run Blessing of Authority uh, builds because they're like they pressure more proactively into the demon hunter, soul demon. Hunter. They're still effective against demon hunter, but they're also more effective against other things and uh, that are more popular at lower ranks. So, Librem Paladin. We talked about you know it's kind of like in a Galakrond Rogue spot where it plays Cthune and Yog. Like there are builds that run Cthune and there are builds that run Yog, and they need to drop the old gods. And we need to go back to the Skullman's Academy build. And let me tell you, people have started going back to the Skullman's Academy build. And you know what, Hat? Libum Paladin can make its return to Tier 1. Ooh. This is not a Galakron Rogue level of improvement. I'm talking about drastic improvement. Cthulhu and Yogg are so bad in this deck. It's just, <laughs> they're it's, so bad. John Bray made a tweet the other day saying that nothing raises confidence level in a game uh, more than seeing the Cthune animation on the other side, and that's pretty accurate. We've talked about it in the Vicious Syndicate Discord a few times, and people will always say, well, Cthune would be good if it weren't for this thing or that thing or this other thing. And really, my main summary is, if Cthune were less bad, it would be better, but the main problem is that it sucks. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, though, like... There were, like, cool cards to theorycraft and build decks and speculate, right? We really had fun building Cthune decks for the expansion and building Yogg decks. It just turns out this meta is a little bit fast. Soul Demon Hunter is not waiting around for turn 10. And even Control Warrior is going to kill you. Uh, it's going to draw its whole deck by the time it get, we get to 10 mana. And these cards just don't make an impact. Cthune is way too slow. And Yogg is only good in Druid, honestly. And the other old gods are just, you know, Yashiraj... Has like sees a little bit of play, but in bad warlock and sometimes in druid and Azoth is just nowhere to be found because it's a uh, it just this is not how you win Hearthstone games in this meta. So the old the old gods definitely flopped a little bit. But I'll tell you, Librum Paladin is looks very very good once you just run the Skullman's Academy. This is something that we couldn't tell uh, in the report, but now a couple of days later I can tell you right now. 
that build is still good. Now, it might be the same build as Coleman's Academy. You might be saying, oh, am I going to play an old deck? I'm not telling you to play the deck. I'm just here mentioning it. It's really, really strong. Like the double Penfligger build with loot hoarders and novice engineers and all that. Just cycle. And it's very, very good. Also, hilariously effective against Bulwark, which control warriors are now playing. And it's an important card in the Demon Hunter matchup because they stopped playing Penflingers, right? But Paladin still plays Penflingers, which means it's really good there. But yeah, Libram Paladin, very, very strong. Potentially even stronger than Pure Paladin. It, it might end up again as the superior Paladin deck at high levels of play. Even though it doesn't beat Soul Demon Hunter as hard. It just has a, a stronger game plan and more card draw and more flexibility. Um, so we'll see. These are initial impressions, early signs, early scoop about where Paladin might be headed. But yeah, Cthulhu and Yogg are that big liabilities. The moment that archetype is dropping the old god, I'm seeing a rise in its win rate. There's a Japanese list that was just posted today that runs Nazoth, which is a very strange No, thing. no, no. Just stop it. Stop it, guys. No more old gods. Just give it up. Give it up. Don't play the old gods. Play the builds with just the card draw, and you're going to do well. Uh, I guarantee it. <laughs> yes. So Card draw and lowering the curve makes decks better. We're just going to say that about every deck. We're just going to, yeah. Play more card draw and lower the curve. All right. We've got two more classes, kind of. Two more classes. Okay, there's not much to say about them uh, for different reasons, right? We've got Priest. Priest is like... Waiting for the bug to be fixed. We're not going to repeat ourselves. Um, it's not doing well right now, mostly because of that control priest, especially. The builds that drop um, Nazamani Bloodweaver and just play Palm Reading, they seem to be improving. They're an upward, there's an upward trajectory. I'm definitely seeing control priests getting better. So like from like a dumpster tier 4 deck, it's definitely getting up there to be closer to like the tier 3 range. Now obviously that's not enough um, right, to make it competitive enough in a meta. Maybe eventually it gets there, but it probably wants Nazmani Bloodweaver and hopefully that bug gets fixed and that deck uh, gets going. But after seeing the last few days, I'm a little bit more optimistic about Control Priest uh, based on the fact that it's really... It seems to be figuring itself out. And as it figures itself out, it's looking a little bit better. Um, Highlander Priest is also making some improvement, but it's still going to end up being largely inferior to Control Priest. I think that people are right now playing it because they, they feel like they can't get the full Control Priest experience. So they're running Highlander Priest. It's possible that Highlander Priest is like this niche counter to Control Warrior, has a good matchup against Control Warrior. So maybe a top legend, you know, I've seen a player uh, hit number one legend with Highlander Priest, it's very possible that a main reason is running a lot of, if you run into a lot of control warrior, then maybe that can be situationally good. But again, you have one player reporting good results and then other players are quiet. And the reason why they're quiet is because they're, lo they're losing with the deck. So again, reporting bias. You only hear about the good news, not the bad news. So Highlander Priest still looks pretty weak overall. Even at high levels, it's not looking that great. So I expect Control Priest to eventually um, take the mend, you know, take the torch and lead the charge for the class. Resurrect Priest is dumpster. Not going not gonna to survive. That's pretty much it. If you want to do well with Priest right now, I recommend the Control Priest list with Palm Reading. That list is actually performing okay. Again, it's not amazing, but it's looking more encouraging than it did you know, a few days ago. Yeah, it's Control Dex, Control Warrior has historically had some kind of crazy overpowered 
hyper-efficient card to build around, whether it's uh, Dr. Boom Mad Genius or Risky Skipper. Priest hasn't really had that kind of option and has usually taken a little longer to crystallize just because it's innately really reactive. And so it's just going to take a while to figure out what meta is it responding to, combined with what we've said before about, you know, the functionality of one of the better cards in the deck needing to be adjusted. Um, so there's some hope here. By the way, our common question is, is Elusia good in this meta? You know, you can think about um, the theory of like, okay, we're going to disrupt the Warriors combo with Elusia. And I'm not really seeing it. I'm not really seeing it. It's possible that it's a little bit better if you're seeing a lot of Control Warriors, but through general ladder play, I don't recommend running Elusia. Just run the build that we have in the report. It's pretty it's as good as Priest can be right now. Once Blood Weaver gets fixed, we'll figure it out. Yeah. I mean, play Lucian Highlander, right? Like, play Lucian Highlander and probably yeah, not. Yeah, it's okay. Control. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's better than Highlander than Control Priest because Control Priest is a really cheap deck. If you play Lucian, they're going to spend all your cards. Like, it's just very awkward. It's the same thing like last expansion. Skullman's Control Priest did not play Lucian because it's just garbage in that kind of build. It's just not good. Um, and I'm not sure one matchup or even a couple matchups are gonna make up for that fact. Like maybe if it's even if it's semi-useful against Control Warrior, like I don't think that that application is enough to make the fact that it's just so anti-synergistic with the rest of the deck in every other matchup. You know what I mean? So it's just awkward. Highlander Priest, higher cost deck. More expensive, it's more difficult for your opponent to take advantage of it, right? So, makes more sense that. And finally, in terms of classes where, well, we don't have as much hope, is Mage the new Shaman? Yeah, Mage is the new whatever you want to call yeah. it. The new Shaman, the new Warlock, the new dumpster class that has no hope, no shot at all. Unfortunate, but true. Um, it's looking bad. <laughs> Hat, it's looking bad. It's looking worse and worse. Every day I check the dashboard and I look at Mage and it's looking worse and worse. I don't think there's going to be... I don't think it's going to be a thing. Secret Mage is sinking. Like, it's the only deck that had a remotely playable win rate in the first week. And it's sinking faster than... I don't know. Put funny metaphor here. I can't think of anything. But it's just so bad. It just beats the bad decks and loses to the good decks. But it might even be a worse story than Totem Shem, right? Because it's not even good right now. So it's like tier three right now, it's going to dumpster straight into deep tier four territory. And it's just going to disappear there. And then we have Cyclo Mage, which is garbage. And then we have uh, Highlander Mage, which you don't see because it's probably garbage. And you have Spell Mage, which is garbage. Now, you did ask me. We're finishing the... <laughs> We're finishing. This is the last class. And honestly, there's not much to say about Mage. I cannot tell you in good faith to play this class. And there's nothing really, even though we do suggest some improvements, some adjustments to those builds, it's not like these adjustments make this these decks much better. We're just putting there, putting these decks there politely in the first report. Because we don't have we, we don't want to have zero decks in Mage for the first report. It's gonna be zero decks in maybe a month from now, but for now. Here you go. You have some mage decks to complete your quests or whatever. Probably just re-roll them or something. But or, or do it in wild. It's fine in wild. Um, yeah, it's going to wild. But yeah. I will say that if there's, a, if there's a card that I'm sure will eventually get nerfed from this set, it's actually a mage card. And that's Deck of Lunacy. Now, here's the funny th story. 
Cyclomage has like Decalunacy and Cyclomage is really, really strong. And then Decalunacy and Spell Mage, it's like imprisoned scrap imp territory. Insane. So even though these decks got a game changing card that is incredibly toxic and powerful in the early game and throughout the game, it's a good whenever. They're still this bad, you know? But if Mage ever becomes good again here, eventually, maybe four months from now, maybe six months from now, if it gets good and Deck of Lunacy is in that good Mage deck, that good future Mage deck, I think it will get nerfed because that card is not what you want to see in a Hearthstone game. So it's one of these toxic cards. It's like a high variance card where you play on turn two and just auto win a game. And I can just totally see it. We talked about it in the podcast, but this is actually the most likely card to be nerfed from this set. But the thing is, it's probably going to happen months and months from now, right? So you ask me a question about what's going to get nerfed now. If I had to make changes, right? If I had to make balance changes right now, what would I do to, to whatever? To deal with what's happening. And I'm not sure I would make balance changes. It seems that Team 5 are waiting to see. And I like the fact that they're waiting to see what's happening. Because I think the meta can still have some exploration. But there is a concern. There's definitely a concern. That if Zoo doesn't work out. And Mage is Dumpster. And what if Priest, the Bloodweaver change is not enough. And you have Druid very fringe. So you have like four classes that are in danger of not being relevant. And I feel like that's too high of a number. And we need to, we might, uh, a couple weeks from now, try to look into, okay, how do we get these classes back into shape? Now, one option, of course, there's the mid-set. Like, midway through the expansion, there's going to be a set. And we might be able to buff some of these classes. But there might be some limiting factors in the meta just prevent it from being viable. And, obviously, you look at Soul Demon Hunter and Control Warrior as the two decks that are most likely to get nerfed out of everything that's seen right now. Um, one thing you can do in Soul Demon Hunter, there's the two changes that might be worth doing, thinking about. One is Mystic, just nerfing that card to four mana. There's no reason for that card to be a three mana Dustbreaker. I think at four mana, it's still really, really good. Like It's not like people are st- going to stop playing it, right? Because a four mana 3-2 that deals three AUE is insane. It's as good as Dustbreaker. Like, almost as good. So just, I don't know, make it a 4-mana 3-3. Just make it a Dustbreaker. Whatever. Just don't make it better than a Dustbreaker. Dustbreaker was one of the strongest cards in the history of Hearthstone. And Mystic is even better than that. So just make it a little bit more reasonable. Make it on par with one of the best cards in the history of Hearthstone. Not better than that. And another card that I think that they could nerf, if they want to nerf the late game damage of Soul Demon Hunter, this is the the nerf. Nerfing Mystic is the nerf for the aggressive matchups. To, To kind of Reduce the dominance of Soul Demon Hunter against aggro decks. And then there's another nerf, which is Lapidary. Lapidary provides a lot of damage, right? It's a 5-5, deals 5. It's really important in giving Soul Demon Hunter that burst and reach. So maybe we need to reduce its attack. Maybe it needs to deal 4. And it's important also, you think this is not an important, but it's kind of important also for Bladed Lady. Just make it a little bit more difficult to activate. The fact that you can just activate Bladed Lady on 7 with a Lapidary and a Hero Power is a little bit crazy, right? And obviously, 
you nerf even if you make that little bit of a nerf to lapidary it affects everything else that you do it affects your healing through uh aldraki warblades it affects pretty much the entire deck if you if you nerf its attack modifiers so this is something that you can consider of course you can consider other ways to nerf its damage but what i'm saying is if you want to nerf soul demon hunter you need to nerf its power in aggressive matchups and you need to nerf its reach in the late game people are talking about ilganoth let me tell you ilganoth is a card that you know, enables a lot of burst in the late game, and sometimes it feels busted, but it's honestly not the deck's problem. It's not the problem. If you nerf Ilganoth and you make it unplayable, I guarantee you, and this is the only change you make, nothing will change about Soul Demon Hunter. It will still be really, really powerful, and you're going to have to nerf something else too. So might as well just keep Ilganoth as it is and nerf something else about the deck because honestly, that card is not the problem. That's not where the power level lies. It's in the consistency of everything else that the deck does. So the flashy effect may feel bad, but I'm telling you, if you want to actually balance the deck, this is what you need to do. But I said before, the way I'm seeing it, I think Soul Demon Hunter is not going to be the best deck next week, and the meta might be able to counter it effectively. But if you have to nerf it in order to, again, lessen the limitation that it imposes on aggressive decks in this format, this is what you do. Then we have Warrior, right? So Warrior, again, I'm looking at the early game dominance and I'm looking at the late game dominance with the combo, right? So one thing you can do is, I don't know, nerf Skipper. It's a little bit weird, right? Because it's about to rotate. But honestly, Skipper has been super dominant since the moment it arrived and the, until the moment it rotates. As long as it's a 1 mana 3, three health, uh, 1 drop, it's insane. It just deletes aggressive decks from the format and it's just so dominant early game with Armorsmith. So you can look into that. You can also look into the ETC combo. Maybe ETC needs to be a three mana card. It's incredible that we're suggesting nerfing ETC, but maybe Warrior shouldn't have this kind of combo. Right? Maybe this combo is a little bit too powerful for a deck that has such good de defensive tools. Maybe we need to force it to have a, a slower win condition. Maybe it needs to rely on Rattlegore more. And then it becomes more easy to counter. Right? With silence, transform effects, and things like that. But the fact that it can just have play a control warrior. You're playing control warrior. You have so much armor gain and defensive tools and removal. And then you can OTK people from 30 health. That might be a little bit too much, right? This deck might be doing too much. And honestly, control warrior scares me more than Soul Demon Hunter. So these are my tips. Uh, these are my suggestions. But again, I'm not sure we need to panic and immediately nerf things. Usually things flesh out the meta. The picture becomes more clear. Um after the second, third week. So it seems like Team 5 are waiting now. And I think that's a good move. Sometimes you can make nerfs too quickly and then you kind of whiff something. Uh, yeah, so things are still shaking Gather out. more information. Gather more information. Figure it out. I'm sure that they're doing that as well. And, yeah. and we'll see then. But obviously the two decks that you need to look at first are these two. Soul Demon Under and Control Warrior. Things are still shaking out. I'd really want to see what people play. Usually after... Day after the first of the month is when people try different stuff after ladder reset. And so I'd really be curious to see what that first week is because we're definitely not in a meta that's warped in any direction that really needs immediate addressing. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, not yet. We're not yeah. seeing a deck that just, you know, it, it, it's not, we're not Alshas of Outland, Soul, uh, Aggro Demon Hunter destroying everyone, right? We're not in Skull, uh, early Skullmans where Druid may not have been the most powerful class, but it just did silly things that were just not fun. It needed to be addressed with Kel'thas. Uh, I think we're in a better shape here in, in terms of starting out. 
But, you know, keep in mind, you ask me a question, I answered you the question. That's probably what we need to look into if we have to. But let's see how things shape up. There are plenty of developments that are still possible. Lots of factor in play. Uh, lots of things that are probably going to surprise us next week that I'm not even aware of yet. I mean, you have to remember, Enrage Warrior in uh, Ashes of Outland only emerged after two weeks. Two weeks after the launch of the expansion. We're not there yet. There's still possible that new decks are going to arrive that we're not even aware of. So who knows what's going to happen? There are bugs to fix. Had, there's plenty of things to do. There's plenty of things to do. And, and you know, there's also a tense uh, balance right now. There could very easily be a world where you nerf Risky Skipper and Shard Shatter Mystic and then Aggro Demon Hunter's like, thanks, bro. And then just jams ladder. Yeah, and that is also a concern. To, like, let's say, yeah. yeah, we nerf Soul Demon Hunter and Control Warrior and suddenly Aggro Demon Hunter just stomps everyone. That's also something that you need to keep in mind because that deck is scary. If you nerf its two counters, then what's going to stop Aggro Demon Hunter? It's complicated. There's definitely a lot of things at play here that you need to take into consideration. Aggro Demon Hunter is a deck that just... Like, it's a lot of damage. Like, I don't know. It, it does a like, lot. Imagine if Soul Demon Hunter wasn't and Control weren't that good. Like, Aqua Demon Hunter might be as good as its iteration, like, maybe close to its iteration in Ashes of Outland. Like, have you seen its matchup spread? It's just dark green against so many things, Hat. It's just <laughs> insane. Yeah. It's the it's the the jank police, right? Like, if you're if you're running some yeah, jank, jank Aqua Demon Hunter's like, whoa there, buddy. You can't go through here. And Maybe as decks get more refined, then we'll see it drop off a little bit. But I played a lot of that deck uh, in the first couple of days, and even recently, it's it's got a lot of pressure and a lot of damage yeah, it's from hand. Spooky. It's a spooky deck against. That's a good word for it. Almost every deck in the meta, it's very spooky. Again, uh, other than these two, so nerf these two, and you might need to nerf this one as well. It's complicated. Anyway, that's pretty much what I have to say about uh, balance. But we're okay. We're in, we're, we're in okay shape. I think once we look at the next week's report, we'll look. The, we'll see the numbers deflate. Uh, a lot of the decks' win rates are, are going to drop, and we're, we'll see what's really tier one and what's uh, you know jank police tier one, as you said. Exactly. And wow, hour and fifty minutes in. I think I think we'll wind down a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think we're done, man. I'm tired. <laughs> I think we're done. So thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, you can support the show through either Vicious Syndicate Gold or Patreon. Thank you so much to everyone that subbed and supported. You can look forward to the next report next week, December 3rd. You can look forward to the next podcast. Uh, we're recording it next Friday the 4th, and we'll release next Saturday the 5th. Big thanks to Steven Sensei, as always, for our intro and outro. That's going to do it for this week, and we'll see you soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.